0: morning everybody. Uh, The first case is Town of Midland versus Harrell and we will hear from the appellant.
1: May it please the court, Mr. Chief Justice and Associate Justices. My name is John Scarborough and I represent the appellants Tony L. Harrell and T.L. Harrell's Land Development Company. Mr. Chief Justice, I wish to reserve five minutes of my time for rebuttal. This case is an appeal based on a dissent at the Court of Appeals. My client was the developer of a subdivision in the town of Midland. Court of Appeals previously upheld a notice of violation by the town, finding that the subdivision roads were improperly constructed and maintained by my client. There are two claims in this lawsuit. A claim to recover civil penalties for violations of the town's zoning ordinance, and a request for a mandatory injunction ordering my client to repair the subdivision roads. The primary issue before this honorable court is whether the town has adequately demonstrated that it had standing at the time this lawsuit was filed. As this court has held, standing is a necessary prerequisite to a court's proper exercise of subject matter jurisdiction. Therefore, if the town did not have standing at the time this lawsuit was filed. Then the trial court did not have subject matter jurisdiction and the judgment against my client must be vacated as void. The Court of Appeals majority held that the town did have standing and the court had subject matter jurisdiction. Judge Tyson, in his dissent, disagreed.
0: Judge Tyson also seemed to uh, touch on uh, whether uh, the uh, the developer could be required to repair the roads. Uh, Was that previously decided, and are you arguing based on that today?
1: I I will be arguing that. I believe it's secondary to the subject matter jurisdiction issue.
0: um, Though it's your position that was not decided in the first opinion in this case?
2: Correct.
3: And while we're defining what the issues are, is it your contention that the standing of the town was not established because of the fact that it acted two years after the suit was filed, or are you saying that it is just inherent that it did not have standing based upon its ordinances?
1: I am arguing that there's two ways that the town could have established standing. Uh, First, through a specific delegation to a town official in an ordinance, or second, by way of a resolution by the town council authorizing this action
3: well let me ask it this way is it your contention that because the town acted two years after the lawsuit to say that it approved the lawsuit are you saying that that action alone is a demonstration that it did not have standing
1: correct i'm saying that the the ordinance cannot be interpreted to delegate the power to sue to any town official Therefore, a resolution was required, and because that resolution was passed two years after the lawsuit was filed, it cannot retroactively supply the court with subject matter jurisdiction. To begin the analysis into standing, it is important to understand the source of authority for the town's claims for civil penalties and a mandatory injunction. Each of these causes of action for a municipality is created by statute. That statute is 168-175. In subsection C, the General Assembly has provided that an ordinance may provide that violation shall subject the offender to a civil penalty to be recovered by the city in a civil action in the nature of debt. Subsection E, the General Assembly has provided that an ordinance that makes unlawful a condition existing upon or use made of real property may be enforced by injunction and order of abatement, and the General Court of Justice shall have jurisdiction to issue such orders. In this statute, the General Assembly has conferred on municipalities and the town the legal right to sue for civil penalties and injunctions, but the inquiry into standing does not end there. As this court held in committee to elect Dan Forrest versus Employees Political Action Committee, where the plaintiff has suffered infringement of a legal right arising under a statute that confers on a class of persons, including the plaintiff, a cause of action, and the plaintiff has satisfied the requirements of the statute, the plaintiff has shown standing under the North Carolina Constitution. So while the General Assembly has given municipalities the legal right to sue for civil penalties and mandatory injunctions, the General Assembly has also mandated how municipalities must exercise that legal right. And that procedure is found in 160A-12, Exercise of Corporate Power, which provides that all powers, and that would include the power to sue functions, rights, privileges, and immunities of the corporation shall be exercised by the city council. Where the general law does not provide directions or restrictions as to how the power is to be exercised, then the power shall be carried into execution as provided by ordinance or resolution of the city council. The Court of Appeals held that 168-175 does not provide directions or restrictions as to how it should be exercised. Therefore, and I believe the parties, it would be fair to say, agree that for the town to have standing at the time it filed this lawsuit, the town council must have either, one, specifically delegated its power to sue in a valid ordinance, or two, the town council must have itself passed a resolution authorizing the lawsuit. Those are the two ways under these circumstances that the town could have demonstrated standing.
3: Well, why would the town have had to specifically pass a resolution if it is intrinsic in its own ordinances that it had the right pursuant to the statutes that you named to be able to act as it did through its council to file the
1: lawsuit. The, again, these causes of action, because they're created by statute, the procedure has to be followed either the delegation and in in an ordinance or passage of a resolution authorizing the lawsuit. Um, and, and we argue that when you look at the ordinance, it, it does not in fact, The Town Council does not evidence the Town Council delegating that authority. Does it say expressly in
3: the statute uh, 168-175 that there must be some action in some council meeting or some commissioner's meeting or something that would authorize the governmental entity to have to give that kind of express authority through resolution or something else, or can it just act on its own volition based upon the ordinance operation?
4: So
1: 168-175 does not provide any procedure such as the matter has to be assigned to zoning administrator or town attorney and then be filed. What I would say is that Anywhere in these statutes, um, for instance, in subsection C or E, where you see um, that that a city may take an action, a city properly defined is its inhabitants. For a city to take an action, it has to be done through its governing body. So, I would say that. It's not enough just to say that city is referenced, therefore it can take, take this action. When standing was raised at the trial court, the town produced a resolution, which is before you as exhibit one. And it's titled, Resolution Authorizing and Ratifying Action by the Town of Midland to File a Civil Action against Tony L. Harrell and T.L. Harrell's Land Development Company, Inc. Um, States the uh, procedural history of this matter and then now therefore be it resolved by the town council of the town of Midland as follows. The town council hereby authorizes and ratifies the filing of the complaint against Tony L. Harrell and T.L. Harrell's Land Development Company, Inc. The problem is, this resolution was adopted September 10 2019 over two years are there other reasons why uh, you might have a resolution
5: like this other than ensuring that you conferred standing to bring the suit because uh, you know you're correct it's a very well settled principle of standing that you examine standing at the time the is initiated you know the initial pleading is filed so what was the purpose of this In your
1: view when standing was raised this was put into evidence at the trial court (coughs) and the town said this is our this is our standing Um, this this shows that we have standing now that has changed on the on the appeal and it's now well the ordinance delegates it to our zoning administrator and that's why we have standing but I think this actually shows. So your point is, perhaps whoever decided to
5: do this resolution didn't understand what the law was, the law of standing. Correct. We're using this to remedy a standing problem.
1: I I think so, and and the the next paragraph, to the extent (coughs) that prior authorization of the town council was required for filing the complaint the town hereby retroactively approves and ratifies the filing of the complaint, and and that's not that's not adequate. Of course, it can't be done retroactively. Um, but but this resolution makes no mention of any delegation to any town official. Um, it, it doesn't state that the power um, to sue in this situation was delegated to the zoning administrator
4: but but isn't that the fundamental question that is we have to look at the town's ordinances and decide whether or not they um, confer authority to bring suit if they do then this resolution is sort of superfluous correct
1: I think that it's it's relevant in that the the argument interpreting the ordinance um, that the ordinance delegates to the zoning administrator, th- this resolution undercuts
4: that. But, but our task as a court is to look at the ordinance and determine as a matter of law what the legal effect of that ordinance is, isn't it?
1: Yes, Your Honor. And that brings me to the um, next point, which is the town, of course, now disavows this, this resolution. And argues that the ordinance shows that town council delegated its power to the zoning administrator, um, and it it points in its brief to section seven-six of Article Twenty-Three, and that is before the court as Exhibit Two. And that section states if payment is not received or equitable settlement reached within thirty days after demand for payment is made the matter shall be referred to legal counsel for institution of a civil action in the appropriate division of the General Courts of Justice for recovery of the civil penalty, provided, however, if the civil penalty is not paid within the time prescribed, the 30 days, the planning, zoning, and subdivision administrator may have a criminal summons or warrant issued against the violator. First, there's nothing in this section of the ordinance that delegates to anyone the power to sue for a mandatory injunction. But this is what the the town has argued gave them authority for this lawsuit. Um, Don't
4: don't they also point to, or at least let me ask you about, Section 23.2-2, which defines the general duties of the planning, zoning, and subdivision administrator. And in Section section H, it says he... um, the duties of that officer is to enforce the provisions of this ordinance, and then in Section J it says to use the remedies provided in this ordinance to gain compliance. If the town did not intend to delegate to the the, uh, Planning, Zoning, and Subdivision Administrator the authority to enforce on his own, wouldn't this section also have to say that um, that that, it, that enforcement can only be um, pursuant to a resolution of the city council? Doesn't it, doesn't it pretty clearly delegate here by specifying that's the duties of the administrator?
1: I would argue that those, that, that section should be read <laughs> to mean that the zoning administrator can enforce the provisions of this authority, of this ordinance over which he or she has authority use the remedies she is allowed to use in the ordinance. And I say that because throughout the ordinance, there are specific references to the zoning administrator and the authority that she has. Um, Power to withhold or deny permits, condition permits upon the payment of civil penalties or correction of a deficiency, issue stop work orders, revocation of permits, but we have In section 7-6, this language, the matter shall be referred to legal counsel. And the town admits that this language is unclear because it does not specify whom shall refer the matter to legal counsel for the filing of the lawsuit. And I argue that this ambiguity should be resolved in favor of an interpretation that the town council must refer the matter to legal counsel. Um that that is the ultimate source of authority um, for um, the zoning and for the for the actions that can be taken under the ordinance. Um, the town argues that the second clause um, provided, however, the civil penalty is not paid within the time prescribed, the planning zoning subdivision administrator may have a criminal summons issued. The town argues that this second clause implies that the zoning administrator may also refer the matter to legal counsel for a civil action. And the town's brief states, because the zoning administrator is given a specific duty to issue criminal summons following the referral of the matter to legal counsel, it follows that the zoning administrator also has the power to execute the initial referral of the matter to counsel. And this simply is not a proper reading of that section. Section 7-6 has has two options if a violator does not pay civil penalties within 30 Council, days. Uh,
2: sorry to, to interrupt your, you in mid-sentence, but if you look at 23.2-1, uh, the ordinance says, unless specifically set forth otherwise in this ordinance, the administrator has the duty of administering and enforcing the provisions of this ordinance. So doesn't that establish a default rule that when uh, we see an enforcement provision in the ordinance that it's the, uh, within the authority of the administrator to execute it?
1: So yeah, if you'll
2: answer that question first.
1: I I don't believe that that can be the default because we also have a statute setting forth um, what a town council can assign to a zoning administrator. Are you saying that statute says that a town council may not
2: assign to an administrator the duty of referring um, A matter to legal counsel in which um, a violator is not paid a civil penalty within 30 days after demand for payment
1: the statute says that a town council may assign to a zoning administrator the authority to recommend bringing a judicial action I, I don't believe that's the same as referring it to legal counsel that's that's recommending to the town council. uh, So so are you saying, uh, I'm sorry, I, I want to understand your argument.
2: Are you saying that the council could not grant the administrator the authority to refer a case to the attorney for the institution of legal proceedings over unpaid civil penalties?
1: Correct, I think that the zoning administrator was only allowed to recommend bringing the judicial action. Um, I, I am not arguing that anytime a municipality needs to file a lawsuit, it must have a resolution authorizing that lawsuit. I think that an ordinance could very well um, say that, for instance, a town manager can, can bring a lawsuit, but, but that statute that says the zoning administrator can only recommend bringing a judicial action takes it out of the realm of possibility for an administrator.
2: What's the difference between refer and recommend?
1: I think refer is that the decision has already been made that a judicial action will be filed and it's merely sending the matter to legal counsel. But
2: if that's true, doesn't 23.7-6 say that the decision has been made and it has been made by the council because it, it, doesn't it instruct the, um, well, doesn't it instruct, uh, why can't we read this to say the council has said you shall essentially recommend to the attorney that, uh, an action to recover unpaid civil penalties be instituted?
1: I think that that sentence still states, if payment is not received or equitable settlement reached, who decides if an equitable settlement has been reached? I, I think absent a delegation to somebody like the town manager, the, the town council has to has to make that review. Thank you. But, but these two options, the, the town argues that um, that the zoning administrator's power to uh, refer a matter to legal counsel um, should be implied because of the second clause. But but these are not sequential. Um, this is providing two options, and they're both tied to the condition of non-payment within the time prescribed. So it's not saying that zoning administrator refers the matter to legal counsel then applies for a warrant. Those are are two different um, options and and actions to be taken. Town also argues that when looking at the intent of the ordinance, the implication is that the zoning administrator has the authority to refer matters to legal counsel. And again, I think that the resolution Is evidence of the intent which is that the town council has reserved to itself the power to authorize legal actions and again the resolution makes no mention of any delegation of authority like to briefly address the second issue that was raised in Judge Tyson's dissent, and that concerns the scope of any mandatory injunction entered against my client for repair of roads. And this would only be relevant, of course, if if this court finds that the town has demonstrated standing, but it was Judge Tyson's opinion that the town should be responsible for repairs and maintenance arising from wear and tear after April 2006 and that's because the town had asked the Department of Transportation for a letter certifying that the roads have been built to DOT standards and the town stated once we receive that letter we will take over the roads but now the town says that because my client never petitioned the town council they never took um, ownership of those roads and I think Council, I, I want to ask you a, uh,
5: a question about um, law of the case concepts so um, we have this principle that a dissent from the Court of Appeals can sort of force an issue on this court suppose uh, there's an issue that's been decided by a Court of Appeals panel and then later on in that same case the, it, the issue returns or the case returns to the Court of Appeals and a judge of the Court of Appeals says, well, you know, we've already reached this, but I want the Supreme Court to reach it, and so addresses in a dissent that issue that otherwise would be law of the case. In your view, can that judge, that dissenting judge, force that issue on this court? Can we take up that issue in that manner?
1: I think that the way to, to look at this issue really is that Judge Tyson was addressing A separate issue from this previous Court of Appeals um, decision upholding the notice of violation because I concede that that notice of violation um, does contain does state that the obligation for uh, maintenance and repair is on my client but when we're talking about a mandatory injunction um, Courts are reluctant to issue mandatory injunctions. It's an equitable remedy. So I think that Judge Tyson was weighing the equities and saying, even though this was established by the Court of Appeals, when when weighing the equities and you look at the fact that Judge Tyson mentioned that the town has been collecting property tax for for all these years, um, but has not repaired the roads and the fact that the town it was only eight years after the um, department of transportation letter that the town came to my client and said we never took over the roads they need to be repaired here's a notice of violation I, i i believe that they're separate inquiries and that judge tyson was weighing the equities because it is a mandatory injunction. And courts are reluctant to issue those. And
0: thank you. Thank you, counsel. We'll hear from the appellee.
6: May it please the court. Chief Justice, Associate Justices of the North Carolina Supreme Court, Daniel Peterson for the Town of Midland, along with my colleague, Anthony Fox, here today. Um, Our law firm is the appointed town attorney for the Town of Midland, and the town has standing here, Your Honors. Um, Conceptually, as the court knows, we think of municipal authority drawing from, and it's almost a flowchart style, from the General Assembly down through municipalities that can act by ordinance or resolution. And as I'll discuss in my argument, the appellant here wants to focus on 168-12's resolution component, but glosses over the fact that an ordinance, as some of the questions from your honors has predicted, is sufficient to confer the authority to bring the lawsuit at bar. 168-175, as has been discussed, um, is the general ordinance, it concerns itself with enforcement of ordinances. And then 168-12 states, again, that cities have the authority to carry into execution as provided by ordinance or resolution of that city council. Not exclusively resolutions, but general ordinance making authority. And from there, we move down to Article 23 of the Town of Midland ordin- ordinances, where we draw from the author- on the authority to file the suit at bar. And that's from the various provisions that have been discussed this morning already, including 23.1, 23.2-2, describing the duties of the zoning administrator to enforce the ordinances and those remedies provided in this ordinance, which then in this flow chart that I've constructed in my in my mind at least, flows on to 23.7-5 and 23.7-6, which is in record page 41, and I think um, provided by counsel for the appellants yesterday as an exhibit, um, exhibit two specifically. And that reads, and it's 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 the clear language and clear intent of these ordinances, um, as as Justice Allen. Um, inquired about it talks about the zoning ordinance the zoning excuse me the zoning administrator at the front in 23.1 and as justice earls referenced the 23.2-2 authorities um, regarding enforcement and remedies and then even then if we just focus on 23.7-5 and 23.7-6 there is not this this situation where there's a gap in the authority for the Planning, Zoning, and Subdivision Administrator that this entire article confers authority upon through action of the Town Council. Let me
0: me ask you about the resolution. Yes, Your Honor. Um, Certainly we heard um, what the appellant's view is of this resolution. What, What do you make of it?
6: Uh, My view of it, Your Honor, is that at the time Albemarle v. Nance was decided during the pendency of these proceedings, um, it was candidly a a, a kind of new obviously a new decision on on municipalities. And in order to make sure that not necessarily to confer standing, but to make it clear that the town council stands behind this lawsuit, it ratifies this lawsuit, where we we never intended for it to be any other way as articulated in these very specific ordinances. That's the meaning of the kind of post hoc um, ratification through the resolution, Your Honor. It's not at the exclusion of the ordinances, but rather just an acknowledgement that there had been a new decision from the Court of Appeals. Um, I think the the Court of Appeals in this case that this court is reviewing now um, helpfully kind of narrowed and what we thought was true, ended up being true in that it was based off of Albemarle's ordinance, which is really what the Nance case was about. It was about drilling down through this flow chart of authority that I've kind of discussed and going into Albemarle's specific ordinances, much in the way that the the court has done this morning with Midland's ordinance. The, The
5: flow chart that you're describing Um, did you sort of lay out that flow chart and that reasoning to the trial court?
6: Um, Candidly, Your Honor, I'm recently the town uh, attorney of Midland. I Right, I met your client, of course. Yes, Your Honor, I I appreciate that. I just didn't want to misspeak. Um, I'll be candid. I don't know to be certain, Your Honor. Um, I don't want to misconvey anything to the court. The
5: the, the reason I ask is that, uh, you know, standing, we've acknowledged this, is a question of subject matter jurisdiction so typically the concept is you you don't have to preserve a subject matter jurisdiction the court either has the power to hear a case or not and so subject matter jurisdiction is not something that can be waived but there does seem to be here some element of when you have a resolution like this if the centerpiece of the argument is we solve the problem in this way and uh, so, this is not what happened in this case. But for example, you had a trial court that said, well, this is a meritless argument. You can't retroactively confer standing dismissed. And then you have a complicated, expensive appellate process, only to raise for the first time, actually, there's these other reasons, sort of flow chart that you've described. And then it comes back down. That's a huge waste of judicial resources. You can see there's some sort of invited error concept sort of lurking around here that you, you do have to. In a, scenario like this where you're doing something like this resolution you explain to the court there's actually another reason um, but i take it you just say that doesn't matter it's subject matter jurisdiction we're raising it now we're correct we, we should win that's your position
6: yes your honor and additionally this this was in the agreed upon this this ordinance was in the agreed upon record on appeal and so again while i wasn't present for the trial court arguments um, I, I would expect having some um, trial court and appellate practice, that this was in front and before the trial court, this ordinance, um, that is, um, irrespective of kind of the arguments of counsel in that hearing, what, whatever those may have been, Your Honor. Um, and, and again, to, to, to that point, with the Nance opinion being so kind of fresh and, and, and new at that time, and certainly, as, the, as, as um, Your Honor points out, standing cannot be conferred retroactively, um, it does, though, just kind of lend itself to going back to these ordinances that, again, were before the trial court, because it's in the record on appeal, and an acknowledgement by the Court of Appeals in its majority opinion that the Nance opinion, and we heard it from Appellants' Counsel today, does not mean that every time a a municipality seeks to file legal action means that the city council has to pass a specific resolution. Um, Albemarle's ordinances made that distinction with regard to outside counsel. The focus and on us of those, of those ordinances were, uh, to quote from the Nance opinion, uh, this, uh, around the holding and conclusion section, the civil action was not properly initiated by the city council. Albemarle's ordinances require that either the city attorney or outside counsel selected by the council prosecute this action. And it goes on later to hold, in order to bring suit through outside counsel. The city council must adopt a resolution, thus directly tethering it to Albemarle's ordinances. Unlike the argument that we we heard um, from appellants that it's just 168-12 and that's it, and 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 in the dissent as well, just kind of looked at 168-12 and didn't do the ordinance um, the ordinance view that was done in the Nance opinion. Um, the pain, uh, the the town brought 160A-175 into execution through its authority in 168-12 by ordinance providing specific instructions on what to do um, under Article 23, which is under 23 dot, excuse me, 23.7-6. <coughs> Um, lots of numbers in this argument, so I apologize if I butcher it a little bit, but if payment is not received or equitable settlement reached within 30 days after demand for payment is made, the matter shall be referred to legal counsel for institution of a civil action in the appropriate division of the General Courts of Justice.
2: C- counsel? Be, your Honor. So, unfortunately, the passive voice is used there, which is one reason why we're here. Um, what about the argument by opposing counsel that, this obligation to refer cannot be um, interpreted to apply to the administrator because the administrator isn't in a position to determine whether a settlement is equitable.
6: Uh, Your Honor, I think that goes back to the question of what's the difference between recommending and and referring the matter, Your Honor. Um, And and I'm not sure that that the council has cited any authority to discuss what an equitable equitable s- settlement is, that a zoning administrator would have that ability any more than the, s- the town manager or the town council. That's often a function of, of our court system, which is then what leads us to, um, again, the institution of the legal action. And thus, I think what we're looking at here is that it is a, a kind of municipal discretionary delegation to make that kind of do the best they can, so to speak, in deciding what's an equitable settlement, much in the way that zoning administrators refer matters to the zoning boards of adjustment. Um, and if if the if that equitable settlement is not equitable, um, I'm confident that developers have a remedy um, before these courts to make that distinction, um, just as as the town administrator and thus the town have the authority to bring the institute the civil action in this case and this kind of argument that it's you know well it doesn't reference the zoning administrator in this specific sentence the sentence before that in 7.5 talks about the planning zoning and subdivision administrator the sentence after that talks about the planning and zoning um, subdivision administrator and the entire article is about the powers and authorities of the zoning administrator so your honor um, This, this, I think the Court of Appeals captured it in its majority opinion very well when it referenced that that the the appellant in this case, this was, you know, this arises from a 2016 opinion from the Court of Appeals. Um, That's seven years ago at this point. They still have not followed the judgment of the Court of Appeals in that action. And that's referenced in the Court of Appeals majority in the 2022 opinion. And that's kind of what's going on here is that this is, this is kind of a, a last ditch effort to avoid their responsibilities, which leads me um, to the second issue regarding the proper entrance, en- entry of summary judgment in favor of the town. Um, and as the court has already, uh, already kind of commented in, in the questioning on the appellants This issue was decided. This issue was decided previously. It was decided with finality seven years ago. To address a question I think Your Honor asked regarding um, whether a dissenting judge in the Court of Appeals can kind of force the issue back to the Supreme Court, I think the answer to that is not really under the principles of the law of the case. It's It's certainly, you're not bound under the principles of stare decisis, obviously, but I do think, under the law of the case, the the North Carolina Supreme Court in 2016 did not reach this issue. That became a final ruling in this case, and I don't think it is appropriate for appellants to try to masquerade this argument again in front of the Supreme Court here today um, in an effort to get a different result from what has been now a seven-year-old judgment of the Court of Appeals that they simply have not complied with.
5: And Uh, just to add to that, this is my concern, is so uh, in a case, and this could be one of these cases, but you can imagine a case where the Court of Appeals decides an issue. This court chooses not to exercise discretionary review. Uh, The case returns to the Court of Appeals, and a judge on the Court of Appeals says, I really want to make the Supreme Court. Have to take this case. So now I will dissent and raise the issue again. And that seems troubling that you could use. I don't think that was the intent of the legislature in authorizing dissent, appeal by right from dissents.
6: I agree, Your Honor. Um, I think that it's problematic in a broad sense, and it's problematic in this case as well. Particularly, again, given the age of the opinion and judgment of the Court of Appeals at play here, um, and. and I did want to kind of comment as well, and there's something underlying this argument um, from appellants about the acceptance of the, these roads that I find is intention, um, in a way our argument is not, with their, their position on standing. Um, it, while stridently insisting that the town council had to pass a resolution authoring this los- authorizing rather this lawsuit before it was filed to bring into execution its authority under 168-175, appellant insists that a 2006 email from the town clerk to an engineer at the North Carolina Department of Transportation is enough to accept appellants' private roads as municipal roads, um, arguing that that was enough for the council to have accepted those roads. That is, there is, as the Court of Appeals in its majority opinion commented, There is no record evidence, and it commented in 2016 and again in 2022. There's no record evidence that the town council took this matter up, took a vote, and authorized the acceptance of these streets. And thus, it matters not what appellant agreed to, as is kind of commented in the dissenting opinion in the Court of Appeals, particularly since the town at the time wasn't even incorporated at the time that agreement was reached with the count, uh, with Cabarrus County. But um, the majority in the Court of Appeals correctly focuses on the fact that one, the appellant never presented a petition to accept these roads to the council. Number two, the town never communicated directly or did not, and in 2006, send that communication to the developer, the appellant here, and three, the town council never actually accepted these roads, and until that time, it is the obligation of the appellant to, to maintain their private roads that they built, and are and, and sold properties around surrounding those roads, and and uh, we've heard comments about, about taxpayer money and whatnot, but they've they've profited from this development, and there this seems to be again as I said. There's a seven-year-old judgment in this case ordering them to do something. It hasn't been done. Um, We ask that this court not accept the plaintiff's, or excuse me, the appellant's invitation to further forestall what should have been done years ago and to affirm the Court of Appeals on the issues before it today. I'm happy to take any further questions. I I know I've got some balance of time, but thank you, Your Honor.
0: Thank you, Counselors.
1: I'd like to respond to <clears throat> Justice Dietz um, your question about when this this ordinance as the delegation of authority argument when when that arose the argument that the ordinance provides standing was not even raised at the Court of Appeals. Judge Inman uh, brought out the ordinance Um, In her majority opinion as as providing the authority That's all thank you
4: Thank you council.
6: Thank you everyone